as a foundation, I want to speak about manhood as a, as a, just as a foundation. And some of the young boys, if you are here, uh, some of the men that are here, uh, I wish you can take some notes here because it's going to help you, you know, in your journey of faith. My title to you this morning is found, Know Your Name and Let Him Initiate You. Know Your Name. Can you repeat it after me? Know Your Name. I only want the men to say it. Know Your Name. Okay? And let Him initiate you. Now let's help the men, uh, ladies. <laughs> know your name, and let him initiate you. Uh, let me just say to you this morning: we learn from Adam, from the story of Genesis. We can learn very, very valuable lessons, and it may even answer some questions that you might have concerning your life. There's something that Adam does or that Adam did that seems to reflect onto us as sons of Adam. We seem to live out the very things that Adam did. Firstly, when crisis hits our lives, the first thing we become the new, I, I guess the new language or the new saying is we become nonchalant. We become numb. We don't face the reality. We don't believe that it is happening to me. And so we become numb. We hear people say, well, you know, Dolores. Doesn't bother me. Whatever we say. That is the very nature of Adam. We don't seem to accept the fact that whatever is happening to me, that it's happening to me. We give people the impression that it doesn't bother me. And when we are like that, we are actually living out the very thing that Adam was doing in the Garden of Eden. God said to him, don't. But he said, I won't. So we go into a state of numbness. Some of you boys know what I'm talking about. Because society has taught us to think and to respond in that way. Society have influenced many of us. And that's why I'm just going to show you quickly the pattern. There is a trend that happens to every person. Well, when I'm talking about man, I'm talking about both man and woman because in the Garden of Eden, Eve came out of Adam. Don't you ever forget that Eve. You came out of Adam. You did not come out of Steve. 
You came out of Adam, Eve. Secondly, we are lost for words. And we disbelieve of the chaos that has come my way. It's like uh, it, it didn't, be, didn't happen to me. Not to me. No. It can only happen to that brother there or to that family there, but not to my family. And that's why many people, they are broken down when they disbelieve that what has happened has actually happened to them. Thirdly, we tend to become angry and aggressive if we don't watch it. When crisis hits your, your life, we tend to respond after the numbness and after the disbelief. We tend to respond in an assertive, progressing to aggressive, progressing to violence. Because we think that our strength can solve the problem. That's why you have a lot of people that are problem solvers. They think that this loudness of their voice, the history of their lives, can intimidate the crisis that has come their way. People become angry. I don't know why they're angry, but they become angry. They raise their voices, you know. They become louder because in that way they feel they are coping and they are dealing with the situation. Let me just say to you today, you cannot intimidate the devil with the loudness of your voice and with the strength in your muscles. You cannot intimidate, you cannot move the devil with your abilities. So, to become angry does not help the situation. In fact, it worsens your situation. Then you move from being angry. Now we become violent. You may not be violent with your fists, but you can be violent with your mouth. So instead of repairing and rebuilding and restoring the home, we become angry in the home. Your home. Your family. This family. You become aggressive and angry. Now please... Um, don't be foolish to think that I'm throwing any stone. I'm a lot more mature than that. I'm not throwing stones at nobody. I'm just laying a foundation. So be patient with me as I speak on this topic this morning.
Then, after becoming violent, and many of us have been have fallen prey to the violence of our, our parents. There's a lot of mistakes that I have made that I strongly regret today. I still do. And I've asked the Lord to forgive me. I've been very violent with my children. Because I build up the anger at the mistakes that they have made. Instead of correcting it on the moment in love and speaking to them. No, I let it build up in me. Until the child does something, uh, you know, just forgive me here. I did something and I, I'm, I'm so sorry um, for doing it, Kezia. There was a day when she was younger, she was a child. And um, the neighbor came on the opposite side. I didn't teach my child, your daughter is throwing stones on my roof. Now, I didn't teach my child to do that. So I went to her. And I didn't ask her. The crisis came to me. And I responded in the very same way that men respond generally. And instead of listening to her and hearing what she has to say, I let she listen to me with my hand. And I smacked her. And she remembers that even to this day. And I have had deep regret for doing that to my child. And I've discovered that this is the very nature of man. That when crisis comes away, instead of resolving and reasoning and trying to bring the matter to a close and reconcile the matter, I responded in a very aggressive way, in a violent way. To my daughter, my baby daughter, who's getting married on the 1st of October. I regret that. I really regret that. I acted like a fool. Like, you know, like Saul said to David, I have acted foolishly. This has been a struggle of many of our families in our homes. Just wait. And then, after the violence, we then go into a state of helplessness. And we go into self-pity. And we blame. We tend to blame. This is an evil that is present in many of our homes. And this is the reason why families cannot reconcile. Because we don't take responsibility. We blame. We blame everybody.
We blame people for our chaos. We don't want to take responsibility. And because of that, history keeps on repeating itself in our lives. And we've never learned from it. We go into a state of fantasy. So that we can try to escape the reality. Yeah? Why is it that so many boys like games? They love games. Have you noticed? They love games. They'll play day and night on their games. And I don't want to judge them or criticize them. I have to try to understand them. I try to understand them. And as I looked into this, you know, into the study, I discovered the reason why boys like games because they don't want to deal with the reality of the home. The game has been created in a way to take you away from the reality. Have you noticed that? They will not contribute to society. They will not, uh, you know, help build. I, I mean, back in the days, in the old days, sons used to work in the workshop with dad. Sons used to clean the yard. Sons used to help mommy carry the groceries. But now today, sons are in a myth. They are in a a space where they love to be away from the reality because they don't want to deal with the chaos. Jesus taught us in his word, in this world you will face trouble because he knows what the fallen state of man has done to humanity. It has brought trouble to the world and still it doesn't matter how you run away from it, you can build a wall around you you cannot trouble, trouble, and trouble won't trouble you. That is not the truth. If you speak to people enough, you will hear that all of us are plagued with trouble. And that's why we have come up with a solution to go into our game zone. And we can play in our game zone so that we don't have to think about the reality. But can I say something to us this morning? That, that may be a, a short-term solution, but in the long term, you are lacking development. You are not growing. You are not growing in your discipline. You are not understanding that there are things and gifts and skills that God has put inside of you. Yes? You, there are things that, that God has built in you. That is supposed to come out. Psalm 139. Come with me to Psalm 139. Psalm 139 says...
Josephine, can you get my other glasses, man? It's in the door of the car. Please, man. They are reading glasses here. Thank you. Psalm 139. Uh, are you, do we have it up here? All right. Let me just see. Go to verse... Um, Go to verse number 13. Okay, verse 13 for me. All right, you might have to flesh quite a few verses. So, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. So, there is evidence that God already knows about me, even before I know about myself. Before I will discover who I am, God already knows who I am. Thank you, Joyce. He already knows. All right, carry on. Um, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Carry on. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Now, when I was made in the secret place, that was the place where God consulted with himself. That Peter John will be born. And when he consulted with himself, because God is very meticulous, he wrote down what came out in the consultation. That's why the Bible talks about that our lives have been written in the books of God. In the volume of the scroll of the books, Jesus also talks about that. So long before your mother discovered who you are, God already knew who you are. Yes? As long as you uh, develop as a child, some of you children are still going to discover who you really are. God already knows who you are. Yes? Carry on. My name, okay, uh, your eyes saw my unformed body, vision. All the days ordered for me were written in your book. Before one of them came to be. So, before I was born into the earth, I'm talking about past eternity. Do you understand what past eternity means? In other words, Long before you were born, in the mind of God, you already lived. All right, let's carry on. How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God. How vast is the sum of them. Verse 18. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Do you know how many grains of sand is there on Manandi Beach? 
Okay? So God says, the thoughts that I have about you are more than the grains of sand on the beach. When I awake, I am still with you. Wow. Carry on. Let's carry on. If one, oh, if only, is that right? If only you would stay the wicked, slay the wicked, oh God, away from me, you bloodthirsty men. Okay, we're going past where I want to, all right? Now, I want to just, again, I'm laying a foundation here. And it's important for us to understand. That's why our society are struggling today. Mary is acting like uh, Johnny and, and, you know, and Michael is acting like uh, Michaela. Because they, they don't know their identity. They don't, they don't understand. And our Western society seems to think that democracy is going to present to you your, you know, your identity. And people are struggling. Now, listen to me, folks. People are depressed. People are anxious of where they are weary. People are unsure and uncertain of where they are going. That's why we have so many people committing suicide. Because they don't understand the issues of life. They don't have answers to some of the difficulties that they are going through in life. Why is this happening to me? And they don't know. Okay? Now, a man needs to know his name. He needs to know He's got what it takes. Because if you don't know your name, and you don't know what it takes, then you are always going to be manipulated. And you are always going to be intimidated. And you are always going to come under the control of another. I was watching a, a um, Friday night, I was watching a movie. You know, I haven't watched a movie for some time. And I realized something. Uh, in fact, it was St. Worcester. And there's an actor by the name of Zimpi. And Zimpi uses fear and intimidation to control people. And I just thought how, you know, how apt that is in society today. That the whole gang world is based on fear. The number system is based on fear. And when you don't know who you are, you can easily fall prey to that system. Okay, come with me. Come with me. Hey, does it know the virus? still got time. I'll, I'll preach till 10 to 1, Pastor Robbie. (laughs) 
A man needs to know his name. Say, I need to know my name. Now, please understand, I'm not talking about Dolores. I'm not talking about Robbie. There's a name that God is going to give you, which is a new name, which is actually an old name, but it's going to be revealed at the time. You can read it in Revelation chapter 2. I think it's in in verse 11 or 17. You can read it there where it talks about the white stone and a new name will be given to you. So that's what I'm talking about. That you got to know your name. And that name only comes by revelation. When you have met with the Lord. Some of the songs that were sang here this morning, I would salute the worship team for that pick because it really lines up with my message here. He needs to know he's got what it takes. And Paul helps us to realize that, that I can do all things through Christ who gives us the strength. Because it's important to you and me. And it's important to God that you know that you've got what it takes. Because a lot of people, you know, they now please don't, I'm not picking on nobody here. But there are people in our society that don't want to go and work, they prefer to be in the maintenance queue. So they condition themselves to a system that determines your well-being. I'll leave that for another time. I'll preach that on another time. I don't want to upset people here. I'm not talking to anybody here this morning. But it is a reality this morning that your employer will never pay you what you are worth. And yet, many of us are slaves to our employer because that's our alpha and our omega. That's our beginning and our end because the employer gives me a medical aid and he gives me a little pension and we think that's what we are valued for. I'll talk that on another time. Okay? I don't mean that you, th you know, that the thought has passed through, uh, you know, our cerebral cortex, as uh, Pastor Brian taught us, and given it intellectual assent. The way you know about the battle, you know, some history teaches us of the Battle of Waterloo. Yes, or the ozone layer, and the way most men know God in the truths of Christianity. They only know God religiously, but they don't know God in intimacy. That's why some people, you can't understand in the same church, one person is worshiping God, but the other person is thinking about, you know, something else. Well, while the worship is present and people are on their knees and, and weeping before God, the other person is on their phone, the other person, why? Because that person did not have an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ yet. The way Adam knew his wife, she gave birth to a child. That's another way that we can say we know someone. 
Yes, the Bible says, and Adam knew his wife and gave birth uh, to a son and named him Seth. Yes, Adam didn't know about Eve because Eve was inside of him. Let me just move on. How many of you have seen the story? It's a movie. Back in the, not so long ago, there's a movie called The Gladiator. How many of you remember The Gladiator? You remember The Gladiator? Okay. All right. Some of the children don't know what we're talking about. All right. But there's a very powerful movie that has strong messages to us. And um, in that movie, it's about the second century AD. The hero is the warrior, and he's from, he's born in Spain, and he's called Maximus. Say Maximus. Yes, his name was called Maximus. He is the commander of the Roman armies, a general loved by his men. They loved him. By the aging emperor, uh, Marcus Aurelius. All right? The emperor's uh, foul son, Commodus, you know, learns of his father's plan to make Maximus emperor. He's supposed to be the next heir, but he wants to make the general the emperor of Rome. And Rome was powerful. But before Maximus can pronounce his successor, Commodus strangles his father to death. He kills his father. He sentences Maximus to immediate execution and his wife and son to crucifixion and burning. Maximus escapes. But, you know, too late, uh, by the time he reaches his family, they had, been they had been murdered and killed. His wife was found on a cross. His son was burnt. I want you to capture this, uh, the story. So, Maximus, as he is laying there in the dust, being injured by his escape. Some tradesmen came past and he was sold as a gladiator. And that fate is normally a death sentence because gladiators were used, you know, uh, in the Roman, uh, uh, what do you call it? The Colosseums, different Colosseums. And they would fight to death. So it was actually a death sentence for the gladiator. Um, Maximum or Maximus, a valiant fighter, he more than survives. He becomes a champion. Because he's so talented and skilled in artillery and in warfare that he knows how to defend himself and knows how to offend the attacker. Out 
ultimately, he is taken to Rome to perform in the Colosseum before the Emperor Commodus, the son, you know, of the previous emperor, who, of course, believes that Maximus is long dead because he got the report from his, uh, his soldiers. After a remarkable display of courage and stunning upset, the emperor controls, you know, um, he comes down from the, you know, from the, the Colosseum, comes down to the ground, into the arena, to meet the valiant gladiator, whose identity remains hidden behind his helmet. Commodus says, your fame is well deserved. Spaniard, I don't believe that we ever uh, been, that, you know, there's ever been a gladiator, you know, uh, that matched you. Why doesn't the hero reveal himself? Tell us. Tell us all your real name. Maximus is silent. Do you not have a name? The gladiator. The Maximus turns around and he says, well, he didn't turn around. He just responds. My name is gladiator. He turns and walks away. Not facing the emperor. Slowly. You know, uh, Commodus, how dare you show your back to me? Slave, you will remove your helmet and tell me your name. <coughs> your name is Ezra, son. Slowly and very slowly, he lifts up his helmet and he, he turns to uh, to the emperor and he says, my name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix regions, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus, you know, Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will, is my revenge in this life, or in the next. His anger builds like a mighty wave. Swelling in size and strength. Before it crashes on the shore. The man knows who he is. What he's made of. He knows his true identity. I wish we all could have the same to be able to know our identity. Because if we don't know our identity, we are always going to be another slave. Where does a man go to learn an answer like that? How is it that that this man could respond to the emperor, the highest person in, his, in the empire. Where does he learn to do that? You see, to learn his true name, 
that can never be taken from him. When you know your true name, no one can take it away from you. That deep heart knowledge comes only through a process of initiation. Now, when in the back in the day, and I'm talking about it may even be centuries ago, sons had to be initiated to be qualified to be a man. The problem in our society, and I know it looks like old age, it looks ancient, it looks out of dated, and we even laugh at it and we mock it. But yet, oftentimes, in cases like that, those men cannot, those boys who are young adults, they were supposed to be initiated. But over the years, where they had to become men, they still act like boys. Because a man knows, you know, my son asked me one day, what is your understanding of a man? So I said to him, my son, my understanding is that one day I want to have my own family. I want to have my own family and I want to teach them in the fear of God. I want to have my own family and ensure that my family is secure. I want to have my own family and I want to work for them and ensure that I am provider, that I have made a way for them, that they would never be able to say, my father didn't give me the privilege of going to study. And I told him my understanding about me. And I, today I realize all of that was performance driven. It was not based on my encounter with God. Because you become initiated as a man when God has qualified you as a man. Come with me. Let me just move on here. Because some of you look so nervous about the time. I got to move on. Abram was in the Ur of the Chaldees. He, together with his family, God wanted to initiate him and say to him, Abram, I have called you to go to the land that flows with milk and honey. I will lead you. And then Abram, his name meant father. But God wanted to make him father of nations. And so when God initiated him, Abram became Abraham. That was when God initiated him. The time with Jacob, when Jacob was a man, he wrestled with God at Peniel. He struggled with the angel. 
He wrestled with God. And it was there that when, when Jacob was touched by the angel of God, when the angel said, you will be called Israel. Because there he would be initiated as the father of many nations. So he could not remain as Jacob. But he became Israel. Because when God looked at him, he saw through the loins of Israel. That there would be many trial tribes. And there would be many nations. That will be birthed out of that. And it was there when he was initiated. That he was no longer called Jacob in the sight of God. But he would be called Israel. Are we together this morning? So we go on through scripture. And we see there was a man by the name of Saul. And Saul was right in his own eyes. He was powerful in his own eyes. Even though he got permission and certificates to arrest the Christians. And it was to arrest the Christians. He met with God. And it was there that Saul became Paul. Because his assignment would determine that he would write two-thirds of the New Testament. Saul was initiated by God. Oh my goodness. Jesus. Jesus was dependent on Joseph. And Joseph could only teach him so much. There's only so much I can teach you as a father. But Jesus had to go into the wilderness when he was ready. And it was there, even though he was being tempted, it was there when he was initiated. And after he was initiated, when he returned, he went to be baptized. And the father said, this is my beloved son of whom I am well pleased. What am I trying to say to you? I'm trying to say to you, until you and I have not had an encounter with God, until we have not journeyed with God, until we have not met with God, we will never know our name. For some of us, we'll only know our name as Revelation talks about the white stone when you will receive for you a new name. But when the Father, hallelujah, the Father, when He gives you His, the name that He, long before earth existed, in eternity past, He revealed right there to Himself who you and I will be. And so when we discover our true name, our true identity, and what we, he has clothed us with. Only then can we know who we really are. Are you hearing me this morning? There are things that your earthly fathers and spiritual fathers can do for you. But they cannot take you where God is taking you. You see, 
fatherhood was not discovered when Jesus was born. Fatherhood did not begin in the New Testament. Fatherhood comes from past eternity. And so when God says in Malachi that I'm going to raise up the prophet Elijah and I'm going to use him to turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the fathers. Why did he say that? Because that is the model in past eternity, the relationship between Father God and Jesus the Son. So, why God desires that if we live on earth, that we must turn our hearts to the fathers and the fathers to the sons? Simply because if that does not model who the father is in heaven and the relationship of the son in heaven, let thy will be done. Where? On earth as it is. So if it cannot be done on earth, God is going to strike the earth with a, with a curse. Because if his relationship and the model of God the Father to the Son that is in heaven is not to be found on the earth, the earth is not fit to have the blessing of God. So that's why He'll bring the curse. And that's a lesson that I believe that is the missing link in our relationships on earth. Jesus showed us by his example, whatever I do, I only do what the Father tells me to do. He didn't decide, no, well, uh, the father said he wanted that, but I think maybe the father should do this. That is, not, that is not sonship. Okay? That's not sonship. That is rebellion. And he showed us the example time and time. You go and read the Gospel of John. You will find it so many times. I don't recall how many times, but it's many times when he makes reference to the father. I and the Father are one. Father, make them one as you and I are one. He keeps telling us, and until we get it right, we will not have the blessing of God over our lives. I can't help if I'm the one who's supposed to be your father here on earth, your spiritual father. God has appointed me to be your spiritual father. I must turn my heart towards you. In other words, I can't respond like a son, Pastor Robbie. When there are matters of decision, I can't respond like a son. Because a son will re respond in rebellion, in bitterness, in anger. The son will re respond in competition. When a son is still in competition with his father... That full of that has not grown up. And the body of Christ 
is full of that kind of sons. They're trying to outmaneuver the father. They're trying to be better than the father. They're trying to, and when they do that, they welcome the curse of God upon them. And it's the same vice versa. When the father responds to the son, so both the father and the son have a responsibility to exemplify the model of heaven. How did the father respond? This is my beloved son. He didn't even perform yet. He didn't even perform one miracle yet. He didn't even preach one sermon yet. But the father acknowledged the son and said, This is my beloved son of whom I am well pleased. And so we need to be initiated as sons. We need to meet with God. We need to have that encounter with God. Sometimes I think a lot of the songs that we sing do not properly represent the will of the Father. And we must check out what the words, we must understand what is the author trying to say to us. I mean, for God so loved the world. Okay? So God, well, God is love and God loves me. That's not the full truth. Didn't God say, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hated. Wow, what? Yes. There are people that God loves and there are people that God hates. Does that mean God hates me? No, no, I'm not saying that. It starts with you loving God. Yes, it starts with you worshiping God. Because God rides in the praises of his people. God is where his people love him. His presence is there where he is honored. Not where man is honored. His presence is there where Jesus Christ is lifted up. And when he is lifted up, now he will draw all men. So it's influencing the way I think even about the Operation Andrew. That there are people that just will not come. They don't care about God. They're not interested in God. They love themselves more than they love God. They love their families more than they love God. They love their careers more than they love God. You know? And, and, and people are just not interested. That's the reality. And God began to show me the sovereignty of God. And I leave that for another day. But it wowed me. That we don't properly represent God in the earth. That's why people can come to God and live as they wish and say, I'm a Christian. No fear of God. No reverence for God. The issue is, when we don't know who we are, when we don't understand what we are made of, when we don't know our purpose in life, Solomon says, then a stillborn baby is better off than that person. Can we pray? Amen. Can we pray this morning?
I believe that there are things that were said here in this meeting, uh, in this sermon, that needs your and my evaluation and to look at the scripture and to contextualize what was being said here and then to make changes in our lives and to say, I want to know who I am. And I can't know who I am with my buddies. They don't know who I am. I can't know who I am with my family. They don't know who I am. I can't know who I am, you know, with my Christian friends. They don't know who I am. I have to go to God who knew me even before I was born. While I was in my mother's womb, he revealed in past eternity what the destiny of my life will be. And now I know my destiny, and that's what I'm going to live for. Let us pray together. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, this morning we thank you that the purposes of God will prevail. It was then when David fulfilled the wishes and the purposes of God, and then he died. This is what we desire, that our lives will be completed when we fulfill the wishes of the Father. I now pray that the Holy Spirit will digest this word into our being, that we may give careful thought around these things. Because it's important to us, Lord God. It matters to us that we know who we are. And we have so many voices that speak to us. The media speaks to us. The politicians speak to us. The education speaks to us. But none of these streams can show us who we really are. And so this morning I pray that through the Holy Spirit, Lord, that who helps us will come alongside us. Lord, that we will have an encounter with the Lord. That we may know who we truly are and what we have. So that we can use that which God has given us for the glory of God. And build the kingdom of God. I ask this in your precious name. Help us Lord to look away from the views of men. From the issues of life. From the struggles that we go through. These are things that influence us. But Lord let our influence be of you this morning. I pray the Holy Spirit to move strongly and powerfully. Even now, amongst the people of God and every person that will hear this word, I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Beloveds, um, I will be continuing this month and I would really like to see some, some fathers.